Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is back to work Wednesday for many people in the country today, or is it? There are a growing number of people out there who are urging caution and even standing in the way of the government's suggestions that people should get back to work if they can do it safely. Chief amongst the let's not get the country back to work brigade are, of course, the unions, full-time officials on full pay, sitting at home, fat cats telling everyone else they shouldn't bother, rather that they should continue to take the government's shilling for doing nothing instead. What is their agenda exactly? Exactly. Next up, it's Keir Starmer and the Labour Party advising their members to beware the evil Tories, who are, of course, trying to kill off the working classes by making them go to work on public transport, despite the fact that they've actually said, don't go to work on public transport if you can possibly avoid it. Today, I need you to be the eyes and ears of the independent republic more than ever. I want to know what you're seeing out there, what you're hearing. Are people flocking to the garden centres of this country? Are the golf courses and tennis courts rammed with sporty types, freed from the shackles of their homes after their sports? have been reopened and is anyone out and about visiting property now that the housing market supposedly has been given the green light to restart we'll be finding out about all of that but we want to hear from you 0344 499 1000 coming up at midday it's another edition of Prime Minister's Questions with Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer safe distancing uh, in the House of Commons of course virtual questions coming in from people on Zoom uh, and all sorts of other different methods of uh, communication no doubt it will be the usual forensic bore fest from Sir Keir the people's champion in the red corner with the £2 million house at Islington and the most popular Prime Minister in this century, Boris Johnson. No doubt, the leader of the opposition has now worked out what stay alert means and he might even have read the government's 50-page document on what happens next. So presumably he will now have a very good idea of the direction of traffic and the way that this country is heading. We can but hope Charlotte Ivers, our political correspondent, will join us to analyse everything that happens in Parliament today. 0344 499 1000. We'll have a look at the housing market, how to make your workplace safe, and we'll hear from our friends at Witch on price gouging. And our homeschooling section today is all about how to run a successful poll. We'll be going over to California to talk to LaDonna Harvey as well to get the latest from her, because it turns out that um, Meghan Markle has decided she wants to prove to the world that she's not a diva. Do you know how she's going to do it? She's putting some fences up around the house so nobody can see in, and she's ordering the book publishing company to publish the book to prove that she's not a diva. <sighs> You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Now, you might be forgiven for thinking uh, that some people actually want to get this economy going again. You might also be forgiven for thinking that some people don't want to see the economy going. They're getting very confused in Wales, it seems to be, uh, where the Welsh leader uh, of the Welsh Assembly seems to be getting it wrong minute by minute. He seems to be issuing one contradictory statement after another. After telling everybody that Welsh law is what is uh, the running law in Wales, uh, then telling everyone they couldn't come to Wales to exercise. He's now opening the golf courses. Uh, he's telling people that they can't start from home and finish at home uh, when they exercise. Basically, I don't know what that means. Apparently, you can start from home and go for a run. As long as you finish at home, then you've gone for a run and you've gone out. But apparently, some people think that means you can only run on the spot. So, up in Scotland, meanwhile, Nicola Sturgeon didn't bother telling anyone that there was a big Nike conference in February at which uh, loads of people flew into Edinburgh from parts around the world. 25 of the delegates, it turns out, had COVID-19. She didn't think it was worth telling anyone, so she kept that one quiet. It turns out today uh, that a journalist who's rather friendly to the Scottish National Party uh, put out a tweet because she got a delivery from Asda, uh, which was missing a few items. She decided it was a good idea to tweet Joanna Cherry, who is, of course, part of the SNP government up there in Scotland, uh, um, and she said she'd sort it out with ASDA and the health minister. Got the health minister of the Scottish government involved in an ASDA delivery which was missing some chocolate biscuits. That's what the SNP do. That's what Nicola Sturgeon is all about. That's why you might find her on the list for planks of the week uh, when you go there looking for it on YouTube a little bit later on. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, uh, a man who knows a thing or two about the lockdown. Nick, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Very nice to hear from you. Now, I just wanted to point out that our friends uh, in uh, various devolved parts of the, our nation of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland are not all they're cracked up to be. And I really do wish that people from some sections of the media and the political world down here uh, would stop making out that they're some kind of, you know, geniuses of the political world. Well, they're basically uh, being shoved in the limelight, although, to be fair to Nicola Sturgeon, she'll steal the limelight many opportunities she can get. Yeah. And, um, and frankly, there's a lot of posturing going on, which I think is, I suspect it's inevitable with our politics that, that goes, uh, goes hand in hand with it. The truth of the matter is we should, uh, Boris Johnson has tried to bring them on board, tried to keep it uh, a, a one nation response, which frankly, it basically is Mike yes. with a few little, a few little sort of uh, differences here and there uh, and uh, for whatever reasons they've decided uh, and and I'm not convinced that they're all shall shall we say well motivated but perhaps more politically motivated mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're cutting some differences you know what so be it I mean we're getting on with the big job uh, the big job in hand which is now to sort of uh, get over this peak which we're well past now and make sure that we don't end up in another one but at the same time the brutal reality as we've seen today Mike is we have to get the economy moving as soon as it is reasonably feasible to do so. And it is reasonable yes. and feasible to get going now. The price we will pay is all too evident with the figures that are coming out today about recession and what will happen. So it, it, it just beggars belief um, that we are not, if you like, following the message to stay alert, do what we can, and, and at the same time, put in sensible precautions that don't tie and bind our hands so this country sits in lockdown doing nothing for goodness knows how long. Yes, right. Well, here's the point as well. It's not one of those things that you can just go from, like, red to green either. You know, you mm. have to go through a series of measures. You can't just turn on the tap full blast when it hasn't been running uh, for a very long time. You have to, you have to let the water out uh, in, in dribs and drabs at the beginning. 
Well, this this is a really crucial point. And, and you know, Rishi Sunak, for example, who's having, how can I put it, he's having a really good crisis, if you uh, don't mind me uh, using that phrase, because he has put an economic response together that has uh, that has not just been like a panic chuck loads of money at it, but what he's actually doing, he's looking ahead now. And he said, look, this furlough scheme, this scheme where I'm basically, the state is paying up to 80% of your wages. I recognize that when we can't just turn that off and think, great, we're now all back in full business mode. Of course we're not. People are gonna have to go out and re-win the orders they had, regrow their businesses. And he's saying, I'm gonna help you on the way. I'm mm. not gonna cut you off at the cliff edge because I'm thinking, Ahead, and I want employers when they can to employ people, which is why I will relax the rules around furlough that mean you can take people back on part time, for yes. example. This, this is good stuff. It is. I've heard a variety of reactions, of course, because there are some who I've spoken to who run hospitality businesses who are saying this is great news because it means we can keep it going mm. for a while. Because don't forget, they're really in a position where they can't make any money at all, for example, if they're club owners or pub owners or restaurant owners and that kind of thing. However, they might be able to start bringing people back part time as a result of Rishi Sunak's scenario in some sort of food establishments. Other well, people have it, said that there are also, um, you know, and I guess there will always be people that will take advantage. And and, and I've, I've spoken to a couple of people who've said, we've spoken to business owners who've said, well, we were going to have to lay people off in July. Now we'll just lay them off in October. Well, look, uh, you know, there's there's always going to be some people who might take a look at this situation and, and think they'll use it to their advantage, but they are broadly in, in the mi minority. So you talk about the hospitality industry who literally have no cash coming in. So what some of them have been trying to do is quite imaginatively use what was a sit-down restaurant as a takeaway, getting yeah. orders out there, trying to... Now, actually, they don't need all their staff, but they might need some of their staff and they might need some more staff part-time if they can get that going further. Yeah. The new rules will allow that. But the, these are people, particularly in the hospitality sector, which, you know, is huge. We talk about hospitality. We're talking about uh, every cafe sh shop we go past, every right. pub, you know, we, we just go on every restaurant. It goes on for ages. Uh, these are people uh, who, who essentially are going to be one of the last to recover in many ways. And they're going to need more sustained help, I suspect, because they've still got the, the rate, the rents to pay. They've they've still got fixed costs in their those. Their, their units. So I suspect Rishi Sunak will go even further towards October if you can't get back in the pubs, if you can't get back in the coffee shops by then, or they are limited in how many people they can have. I suspect we'll see this chancellor still go further to wean them back into business and to help them back into business. Yes. I mean, it seems to me there are two massive areas where uh, assistance is going to be required. One is the hospitality industry, as you've quite rightly identified, but also the travel business, where we hear today TUI uh, are going to be laying off a load of people, thousands very possibly, um, because the travel business has simply collapsed. Well, the travel business links also to the uh, business uh, business tourism. It leads to the, the the exhibitions, the events, the conferences, all of these things. So much of our economy depends on travel. It's it's quite difficult to imagine until you get to a crisis like this. Mm. So they are they're, they're, someone like Chewy is going to try and reshape their holiday packages. Of course, they're going to do that. And sadly, it does look like they're going to to end up losing people. But the fundamentals have to be addressed. If we've got no planes to fly. Uh, if you try and impose unreasonable social distancing on planes where some there was talk of one in every three seat being used, well, who's going to fly? Yes. You're not, you're not going to make money. So we have to kind of um, use what I, you know, a phrase you're very familiar with. We've got to apply as much common sense mm. as well as science to this. 
as well, because the bottom line is, if we can keep on top of this pandemic until a vaccine is, is produced so that we can keep the infections under control, minimise what mm. would be horrible to have any, any deaths, of course, but mitigate the circumstances to make them as safe as possible, we have to then, on the other balance, strike that strike that um, ability to start reflating mm. the economy and planning for the economy. Yes. It really is. I also it's think, not simple, Mike. No, of course, it certainly isn't simple. But, but, I mean, there are some simple people out there, for example, those who couldn't understand two words uh, which were stay alert um, and, and took three days, uh, two press conferences, one appearance in Parliament and a 50-page government document before they finally shut up and it seemed actually accepted uh, that the words stay alert were actually quite easy to understand. Well, uh, it, it's extraordinary the number of uh, politicians, if you don't mind me saying so, that was Some very clever lawyers as well who can't seem to get it somehow. Yeah. Yes, but we must give him time to bed in as leader of the opposition. Come on. Um, now, uh, look, the, the, the truth about the message is it is a nuanced message. Yeah. It is basically saying, and it is saying um, there's going to be some, it acknowledges there's going to be some oddities in yeah. it. Uh, you know, the one we always hear about is, is, is why can't I go around and, and see my, my grandparents, um, where, where, which, which, you know, sounds perfectly reasonable if you can go and meet someone in a park and two metres away hang on, you know, you go around to someone's house, family house, you know, it's very difficult not to have that close personal contact. Mm. You're putting at risk someone who is an elderly group, whereas meeting someone in a park yeah. in the open air where the scientists are saying that's a bit better. Yes. Um, you know, that, and there's more uh, room, for heaven's sake. Yes, it is. And, and you know, some people are knocking. How can uh, how come we're allowed to have a cleaner in a house but not go and actually visit um, the grandparents? Well, I tell you what, you'll be visiting the grandparents quite regularly. Yes. Your cleaner will come in and you don't even have to be in that house. You could be in the garden and they will be have gone and you are reflating a little bit of the economy exactly. at the same time. Exactly. And, and this is where the common sense has to kick in. And I do feel like a few screams every now and then. Mm. I'm not saying... It was a flawless presentation of the government. But the fact of the matter is everyone was crying out for a way forward and a strategy. We've got it. And now everyone's either saying, well, that's too soon or yeah. that doesn't work. It's, it, it's, it's absolute see seesaw politics in, in, in a crisis and an, uh, a time when that's not been very productive. Well, it is nonsensical. I mean, I said to somebody yesterday, you know, if Boris Johnson appeared today at Prime Minister's Questions and revealed that he had in fact found not only a vaccine but a cure for coronavirus, uh, no doubt that he would be asked the question, why did you not find it in February? You know, because that's the composition that we now live in. But what do you make of, I made the point earlier on at the top of the show, all these people who are telling people to be careful about going back to work and to beware, they've all been in full-time jobs ever since the lockdown. Union officials, Labour Party MPs, members of the media, all these people who are urging caution and saying, oh, you might not want to go back to work. Oh, it might be a bit dangerous. Oh, you know, uh, unscrupulous employers might be trying to kill you. Um, you know, the teachers' union, for example, telling their members not to even engage with schools on the possibility of reopening in June. Well, it's just confrontational, isn't yeah. it? And frankly, it's not very helpful. Uh, I, I often say to these people, you know what? Um, I think we're working in a bit of a bubble here. Let's look around the world. Let's see what other people are trying to do under these circumstances. Let's see how it's working out in all those other countries mm. where people are going back to schools. Uh, and 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 actually, you are your other point, your wider point is there's a lot of people making rules about what we should be doing for those of us in the private sector um, who are actually sitting in the public sector and still getting paid, where they are people on their knees um, trying to keep their living going and are hoping that there will be a little bit of relaxation 
as and when it's safe to do so. And the, what's been proposed now is regarded as safe um, uh, to do so. And they're looking that uh, they're they're looking to try and salvage what they can for their futures. It, it's it's a it's a difficult situation, the schools. I get that because it's easy to say, oh, you're putting us at risk. But can we please look at the evidence? So let's take one issue. They're all saying it's impossible to have classroom sizes of 15 people. No, it's not. Not when you're not bringing back the whole school. When your actual proposal in primary schools is to actually bring back, I think it's two or only three years, mm. there would be more rooms. Yes, it, it is difficult and probably impossible to have uh, children social distancing at that age. But then on that basis, we won't go back to school until then. Well, on that basis, back. we may never go back. But is it also not time to recognise, and I know it's difficult for politicians, particularly those in government, to admit that the, the death rate actually, while many people go on and on about how high it is, is actually by a percentage of the population below the age of 40, very, very small indeed. And of those uh, who have died without underlying health conditions, it's quite tiny. I'm not suggesting that we should therefore minimise it. All I'm saying is, is that, you know, clearly we can work with this virus around. Uh, we can deal with it as long as we're careful, as long as we're alert. There must be methods by which we can reopen the economy. Well, I think what goes to the heart of your point, Mike, is if you remember, and it seems a long time ago now, but it was only seven weeks ago, we were being told that it could be up to half a million people that would die. Mm. And that if we did not take measures to get it under control, we would um, we would have huge death figures. In fact, the, the, the government's measures, although there have been a, a, a huge number of deaths, let's not um, uh, over oversimplify that one, there have been a huge number of deaths. But the reality is the government measures that have been taken and the self-discipline of the vast majority of the British public have got this under control, which makes your point that you can try and get this under control. We have, you know, I do accept that you've got to see the infection rate drop. I do do accept that our measures have to continue working for at least three weeks at the level we've got now. But let's not write off, as you say, that the teaching unions seem to be doing, the prospect of having people back at school um, uh, uh, in two or three weeks' time mm. until we've seen the evidence. Yes. And I think the evidence is here and abroad, and we should be looking at that rather than, um, shall we say, uh, posturing too much about uh, what's what's the cases and what it isn't. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And I think over the coming week or two, we will see that there are people in this country who are quite happy to continue uh, taking the public money for, for sitting on their backsides and not going back to work. Because for some people, I'm sure it's quite a nice time to be doing it. But that's hardly the point, is it? No, it's not. And, and the, the national effort to try and break the back of this pandemic, which we haven't won. I mean, we, you know, I think the government's message is, look, we are winning. We are beginning to turn the corner, but we have huge challenges ahead. I think the national effort to do that, that's that spirit, that contribution that the vast majority of the public have made, with a few exceptions perhaps that we've been talking about. But 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 actually, I think that same approach, that same mental attitude, that can-do uh, uh, attitude, so long as we continue to take these safe, stay-alert measures, if we can now buy into that national recovery mode, I think with caution, we can get people back to work safely as well. Now, of course, businesses are terrified. They don't want to be the first business that reports cases and, mm. and who, uh, who has to close down again. Of course, I understand their nervousness. I understand the nervousness of the teachers. I understand everyone's nervousness. But it needs to be, I think, we need to just take a little bit of a step back and start to do that less on the dramatic headlines mm. that we're reading and actually more on the facts that are coming out. And as I say, look abroad. Look, there's, there's countries um, all over all over Europe 
Europe that are getting people back to school. There are countries that are also getting people back on transport and having some of the problems that people are talking about. Yeah. Some not, you know, been a bit crowded on, been overcrowded on some trains, not on others. Of course, they are all facing those things. But the people going to work, uh, you, you know, are, are, are making judgments and making calls based on what they've been told. And despite that, many of them are still trying to get back to work, even though they know there is a little bit of risk. And I don't think that, you know, I think that should be applauded their efforts and not derived now. And we should continue to make try and make things as safe as possible for those people. I think you're absolutely right, Nick. Thanks very much indeed. Nick Dubois, former Conservative MP, author, of course, of Confessions of a Recovering MP. Uh, if you're still on lockdown, get the book, read it, uh, and you might learn something. Uh, we'll be talking to Nick Dubois, I'm sure, soon again. But he's absolutely right. We need to get this thing up and running. How about this from uh, Danny? This is the kind of uh, information I need from you today. Uh, he says, Hi, MG. This morning's traffic on the M25 Surrey stretch was not far off being back to normal at 6.45 this morning. So, um, if people are going back to work, I want to hear from you. If you're going to garden centres, I want to hear from you what they're like. If you're going to uh, play golf, I want to hear. If you're going to play tennis, a bit of mixed doubles, you know, do let us know. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're live streaming on YouTube. Uh, get on it right now. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with my Graham. Talk Radio. Now, we've taken many calls from many of you who have had particular problems about going back to work because, of course, one of the things the unions are punching out and pushing out is that there might be some unscrupulous employers uh, who will not provide you with safe environments in which to work. That is not on. If that is the case, you must report them uh, to the health and safety uh, people. You must indeed get them uh, uh, reported as well, probably to your local MP. I would suggest that there's not an awful lot of that going on at the moment. Um, there are certainly businesses like uh, hospitality businesses, restaurants, pubs, clubs, that kind of thing, which are very, finding it very difficult to open. But if it's an office situation, most offices are able to adapt. But let's talk now uh, to Dr Mark Parrish, Regional Medical Director for Northern Europe at International SOS. Mark, a very good morning to you. Mike, hello, how are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Nice to hear from you again. Um, how are things, I suppose, if you start with? I mean, it feels like um, something's moving, something's happening. I think people are quite sensible overall uh, and are hopeful that uh, they can get some form of, of working life back. Yes, I, I think that's a really good word, the sensible word, Mike. Yes. Uh, I mean, I went out this morning for a little jog around the block in the park. There was more traffic, more people around. Mm. Um, and I think it's this balance, isn't it? We want to get back to work. Uh, we need some income yeah. for those of us that have been furloughed. Um, we're aware of obviously the risk of COVID. From an from a from a nation perspective, you know we don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system. Right. So can we put in place and give some advice which gets people back to work when they really need to be back at work um, and keeps them safe? And that's what we're seeing. I mean, certainly the organisations that we work with around this. So for those of us that predominantly work in an office role that don't need to go back to work mm. then they probably won't you know they'll continue doing it from home uh, but you know there's a lot of industries like retail would be a great example of this you know that wants to open up and I, I'm just thinking yesterday of a, of a retail organization that I was speaking with you know it's got a warehouse it's got retail stores it's got offices so they want to reopen their warehouse makes sense they want to reopen their retail stores makes sense they'll probably keep their offices closed and work from home right. so can we make the office safe and the warehouse safe yeah sure um, we can decrease the risk there. And then the risk, a lot of the time, if you look at decreasing the risk in the office space, which can be done with all of the things that you know, we've heard about, we don't need to repeat those all the time. The issue then is getting to and from the retail space. You know, can you make your commute safe? However you do that. Yes. Uh, and, and it's not about stopping the virus completely, because we know there will still be cases. 
Um, it's about not overwhelming the healthcare system. And we haven't overwhelmed it so far because, look, those Nightingale hospitals have really not been used much. Fantastic. Well, exactly. Um, I think we should all rejoice in, in, in that fact rather than, you know, say, well, yeah. what did we do all that for? But I think the other thing that we need to, and I suppose me, I said this to our, our first guest this morning, politically it's a difficult thing to, to get your head yeah. around, but we sort of need to realise, do we not, that the danger um, of COVID-19 to people who are under a certain age and who are also um, uh, basically with, without any underlying health problems, the, the risk yep. to them is still fairly small. Yes, that's exactly right. And I think that's sometimes lost, isn't it, in, in lots of the things that we read. Uh, medicine is not black and white. Mm. There will always be a few exceptions outside these general principles of, you know, those that are not vulnerable, those that are young and under the age of 70 are unlikely to have a major issue with COVID. Um, they're, if they're going to get it, they're, you know, they're most likely to manage it at home and not need to go into the healthcare system. So if you accept that's going to happen, and of course, look, there's a bunch of other things that can affect us medically, aren't there? It's not just COVID. Right. Other things haven't gone away. We might have a car accident. You know, we might have some other disease which is either just discovered or has been there for a while yeah. balance all of those at the same time we want some income we want to get back to work stores want to work can we do that safely i think we can yes um but the thing is what we've seen across europe is different countries doing different things um because they have often based that on their sort of national psyche and character yeah. so uk great example garden centers open that's very english isn't it it is um you know italy cafes open there you go um we'll see those differences i think and it's only in a month or two will we be able to see you know what's worked and then what we might need to change and it's a bit like having a, a dimmer switch on a light you might need to turn it up and then maybe turn it down yes. a bit I think, the other, I think the other interesting thing, as, as we saw at the beginning of this week with the phrase stay alert, which some people decided, I think, willfully to misunderstand or to see that they were confused by. You know, I think some people do have difficulty because, as you say, medical people, I think, are much more uh, uh, pragmatic about life. Some people would say, well, if they locked down the entire economy and made us all stay home for seven weeks, how is it now safe to go out? And I think a lot of people are quite frightened by that and quite anxious because if it was that serious, how could it now not be? Completely understand. Yeah. Um, absolutely right, because it is this change in emphasis, isn't it? Mm. And I think the message that the government is trying to get over, and I, look, I think they're doing it pretty well, is, look, it's not turning everything off immediately and going back to exactly how we were seven weeks ago. It's this gradual reintroduction of things just to see you know, how that goes and make things, things safe and just keep assessing, keep looking at, at, at how many cases there are. And if you link that with increased testing, which we're doing. We really need to test a lot. If you link it with increased mm. testing, then we'll be in a much better position to know what's working and then maybe what isn't working. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, for me, I want to go to the pub. Well, exactly. I was going to say, I mean, where would you stand on something like a sort of immunity certificate that if you had, say, for example, been tested and it turned out that you have had COVID-19 and you've also got the antibodies, which basically one would hope means that you won't get it again anytime soon. I mean, could that be a possible way of entering a pub if you were able to show that? <laughs> yes, and then, you know, then you'd have the scammers, the scammers <laughs> with their yeah, ear, I, like, pay me 100 quid, here's your immunity. Even as I'm um, saying it, I realise there could <laughs> be problems, but you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I do know what I mean. And it's interesting. So let's look at let's look at Norway. And, you know, uh, we have lots of business in Norway, so I talk to the Norway team quite right. a lot. 
they are pretty much saying that. They're saying if you have had COVID, mm. then you are assumed to be immune for six months. Okay. That's what they're saying. Because the science is not really clear on how long your immunity lasts. Mm. But it would appear that you are going to be immune for six months. So in Norway, as they've relaxed Let's go to Norway. And, yeah, let's go. I mean, then, then they're saying if you've had COVID – you're okay for six months. Okay. The nice thing about Norway as well is, you know, schools are open. You were talking about schools earlier, yeah. Mike. Um, what I rather like about the Norwegian um, focus on this is that in schools, you know, they are saying that each child in school can have a hugging companion. Right. So one companion they can have a hug with. That's Isn't nice. that nice? That's I really think that's nice. great. Because, you know, that that's the really... one thing that I've actually missed, you know, because in some ways I haven't, you know, I haven't seen my kids. One of the reasons I haven't is because I'm thinking if I can't hug them, you know, yes. that's going to be something terrible. I mean, I can see them on a screen. I do every day, pretty much. I see them on FaceTime or on House Pass or something like that, you know. But if yeah. you can't actually physically touch somebody, that's a real human need for me. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. We all realise that. I think those of us that have all sorts of relatives, you know, my, mm. my mother-in-law is the same. Staying, she's by herself, hasn't had that physical touch for, for seven-plus weeks. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? It is. So how can we bring all of those things together... And try to relax those restrictions mm. and at the same time keep this virus under control so our healthcare system isn't overwhelmed. Yeah. That's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. And the contradictions that we're seeing today and, say, for example, this week are, I don't know if you've seen the pictures from the underground, but the underground's getting busy again. Some mm. bus routes are getting busy again and mm. more people are getting on. Mm. And there doesn't appear yet to be a clear strategy from the public transportation people, like TfL, for example, in London, as to what they should be happening because surely they need to be putting limiting numbers in place or something. Yes, and it's that it's that distance thing, isn't it? Is yeah. I think you were mentioning earlier, you know, Emirates, I think it was on the news there, is going to resume flights, aircraft are resuming, and they're going to need to put some social distancing in there, and yeah. the tube, the buses, the trains will do the same. And I think they'll catch up there. Um, it might be a little soon. They're, maybe they'll, it'll take them a little bit of time. Certainly for me, I mean, our office has remained open. Right. Um, so when I do go in, uh, because we've got a bunch of doctors and nurses, you know, some, answering calls all the time mm. um we've put all those social distancing things in when i go in i cycle yeah. but there again i can because it's not that far away it's okay. 13 k's along along the road to on a reasonably safe cycle right. some people will find that difficult um and if they can't cycle or walk and they need to take public transport let's make sure that's safe yeah. and that's where this issue of masks comes in mm. i think that you know we we've been through a, a little journey on the masks discussion because i think i remember the first time when you and i spoke yes um you know it was really the feeling was that masks probably weren't a, a great help about, apart from in the healthcare system yeah i think we've progressed there mm. and now that we know that you know we can have the virus in our system for a couple of days before we have symptoms you know, those masks, wearing those masks in places where we are close to people and we can't prevent that, certainly on public transport, yeah. that's a good idea. Would you and say the government is one, recommending Yeah, I mean, would you say wear one in a supermarket as well? I think if you're very close to people, but not if you are distanced from them. Because remember, it's proximity and time. Yeah. And most, I mean, my local shop is sort of restricting the number of people that can go in. Yes. So I'm not close to anybody for a length of time. So no. I don't think it's a big issue. But okay. look, if you want to wear one, fine. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I haven't chosen to wear one up, up to now. Um, I certainly would wear one if I went on public transport, I think. But at the moment, I'm not doing that. What about schools? Because there seems to be an issue with some Teachers who say they're not sure that they can go back and practice safe distancing with primary school children. What's your view on that? 
Yeah, I think schools is a tricky one, but we've seen many other countries in Europe opening up schools, and I think it is the right thing to do yeah. um, for any number of reasons. But then, if we look at it from the the medical risk perspective, it's it's you know it's balanced with everything else that we talk about. Um, the children appear to deal with COVID uh, probably much better than the rest of us do, really. Mm. Um, and although they may well pass it on of to others when they come home, that is may not be quite as much as as as, as with others of us um but certainly all of the evidence would suggest that you know if we gradually reopen schools and we apply all of the other principles that we do elsewhere it is safe to do so mm-hmm. and look we want our kids to be at school don't yeah we? oh for sure um, i mean, my, my, I mean i've got two up. one the older one was due to do gcse so there's no point in him going back because if he had gone back um, he would have only been doing revision for the exams, which would have been starting this week. So he's kind of moving on and expecting to go to college, uh, or you know, sixth form college in, in September. Yep. But the younger yep. one, I, th- I think, could definitely do with going back for, for a month or so, even if it was only for, uh, for, for the end of the year, sort of, you know, just to, just to remember what it's like. Yeah, and it's that social interaction mm. as well, which is different when it's, and I say face-to-face, it may be face-to-face over a distance, yeah. but it's different to being on a video screen, isn't it? It really is. Or being is. on a telephone. It really and is. And it's so powerful. Yes. And we all need that. Yes. And that, I think, is the other thing that we forget. And the other thing, I mean, one of the things that we are seeing, and a lot of people are talking about this, and we are seeing a lot of focus on this, is this the mental health impact of this in the future mm. for all of us, really, because we've had a difficult, different time for the last couple of months or so, yeah. haven't we? Well, How's that well, I mean, I also wonder mentally, and I'm going to be maybe talking to somebody about this in the, in the coming days, after you haven't seen people for a long time, there's going to be some, you know, not trauma necessarily, but it's going to be quite interesting how, how you then interact with the people that you haven't seen for such yes. a long time, you know? It, yes. You might not be able yes. to just pick up where you left off. No, you may not. And yeah. you may find that your relationship with them is a little bit different sometimes. Mm. Um, now, I've, I've, I'm going to end this conversation with... A, sure. I've had a brilliant idea, OK, because we're all um, needing a haircut, basically, at this point. Now, I'm, yes, I'm hearing from, from various listeners and people who are out working that the dog grooming uh, salons have reopened. What do you think if I, I go to the dog groomer and ask them for a haircut? I'm not sure it would do you justice there, Mike. <laughs> Can they really you know, I'm looking keep for your locks sort of Irish, in their perfect... I'm looking for the uh, Irish setter look. The Irish setter? Yes. You know. That's quite a good idea. Maybe I'll have that. There's a, well, there's a dog groomer. I mean, it would, help, it would help them with their finances, right? We could pay yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what... I, I don't know if you'd have to be on all fours and they just clip around, you know. I think I could, <laughs> I could see it working. Kind of noises as well. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm going to go for it. Listen, thank, great to talk to you. Thank you very much, Dr Mark Parrish. I think I've got the answer. I'm going to get... I'm going to find a dog groomer to cut my that has got to be the way forward. This is Talk Radio. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock. Dan Wooden coming up at four o'clock, of course, bringing you uh, the briefing. Although yesterday, I think he didn't bring you that much of the briefing because he's quite right not to, because the briefing actually yesterday wasn't particularly interesting. Uh, it may not be particularly interesting today, and I'll find out from Dan later on whether that's a policy decision uh, now that we're not going to bring it to you every single day because it's not really necessary. I wonder quite often whether or not there's any efficacy at all to coming out every single day, giving another total of the number of dead, answering a few questions and disappearing off again without really giving anyone anything that they can use, you know? Uh, a bit like Prime Minister's questions. I mean, there was a period of time, if you remember, when Theresa May was in charge of the government, when she and Jeremy Corbyn's question, Prime Minister's questions were so tedious, we just stopped covering it altogether. The way things are going with Boris and Keir, we may have to go the same way, to be honest. Let's talk now, though, uh, to Joe Twyman, because it is, of course, that time of the day, just after 12.30, where we get the homeschooling going on. Uh, for those of you who've got children, get them around the radio, tell them that they might be going back to school soon. <laughs> That'll scare them. And say, look, here's the thing. You may not think you want to know about how to run a poll properly, but actually... If you ever did want to, and these are very important things to learn when you are growing up, Mr Joe Twyman, uh, the man who runs Delta Poll, the founder indeed of Delta Poll, is joining us now to tell us how to do it. Joe, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon, Mike. Now, I'm very happy that you've come to me on this particular day because once you've laid out your little plan for how it is done properly, I'm going to give you a great example of a poll which is currently doing the rounds, which is complete and utter garbage, a complete and utter gobbledygook, which is being interpreted by people completely wrongly. I'm sure you'll know the one I mean, but we'll get to that uh, in a little while. Uh, tell us, first of all, how to run a successful poll and why polls are important. Well... Firstly, polls are important because it's good to find out what people think. Yes. And that can be in a very narrow sense or a very wide sense. You might want to know what people think in your class at school or in your entire school. You might want to think... Uh, you might want to find out what school children think about a particular subject. Mm. Or on a much wider scale, you might want to think what the entire British public thinks about a particular subject, uh, whether it's COVID-19 and the pandemic, or whether it's, uh, whether it's exercise and, uh, and hobbies that people are doing at the moment. All yeah. of these things are, are interesting and useful to find out. And the way that we do that is actually relatively straightforward. It's pretty simple at the basic level you just want to ask the right people the right questions at the right time in the right way but of course it's a lot more complicated than that well of course because interestingly enough i mean a poll to me is the most effective if it has fewer questions in the sense that or fewer possible responses if you like you know um because if you give people too many choices um it doesn't tend to be as representative, I think, uh, as, as if you just give them two, if you like. In the same way that well, well, if... Go on, sorry. 
Oh, well, I was going to say, the, cl- the classic example of that is if you ask people uh, their favourite film. If yeah. you ask a thousand people their favourite film, you'll probably get 500 films yeah. back, uh, or maybe maybe three to 400 films, uh, all, uh, the most of which get sort of 2% in the, uh, in the survey. That, yeah. that is, doesn't tell you much, uh, much use. But if you say of the following films, of the following five films or the following 10 films, which is your favourite, right. Then, get, then uh, you get much better data from that. Now, they're measuring different things, but the second is far more useful than the first. Yes. And would it be more accurate, for example, if you said to the people, would you please rank these films in order from one to ten? Uh, well, that again, that's measuring something, uh, something else. We tend not to get people to rank things if we can avoid it, because that's a bit of effort on the part of the uh, on the part of the person answering yes. the survey, and we make that as simple as possible instead rather than getting people to rank things we would probably get people to rate things instead and so give everything a score from 0 to 10 or a 5 star rating and then work out the ranking from that at the analysis stage right because you know when you get those very annoying emails from people like please fill this out on Trustpilot and you have to rank everything from sort of one to five. You know, how was our customer service? How was our, how, how did we deal with your problem and all of that? Is that a, a, a reliable way of getting to the heart of the matter or not really? Uh, well, in a, lot of, uh, in a lot of those cases, those are designed for internal use so, mm. that, uh, so that people can, uh, can drive data, uh, data from that. But as I said, part of, part of the challenge is to ask the best questions, the right questions. And, and what that can often mean is asking questions that are straightforward and easy for respondents to answer. Because you want to give everyone an opportunity to answer. You don't want them to have to, uh, to, have to deal with concepts that they're perhaps not familiar with. Uh, you don't want them to have to go to a massive effort in order to answer the questions. You want to make it as simple and as straightforward as possible. Okay. And do you get a different response from people depending on whether you're asking them in person, say on the street, or if you're asking them on the phone? Uh, yes, absolutely. It depends on the uh, it depends on the particular subject. Mm. Uh, but you do have something called interviewer effect, uh, and that is that people can feel obliged to answer in what we call a socially desirable way yeah. when there's somebody there because yeah. they want to appear. Uh, to that person to be nice and friendly and so on and so forth. And so you get that a lot with face-to-face surveys in, uh, in subjects particularly that are, that are controversial or perhaps that are personal. Uh, with telephone, that's reduced a bit. And with online, where it's anonymous, uh, you would hope that that's removed as far as possible. Yeah, because we've talked before about shy Tories as a kind of concept, people who didn't wish to admit to having voted Tory or to want to vote Tory, which is sometimes an effect. Can you, can you ever kind of account for that in your skewing of the results? Uh, well, you can uh, you can uh, you can design the questionnaires and you can design the whole process to give people the opportunity to say that they're, for instance, uh, voting conservative at a time when, and I mean that came up in the 1990s when that was not a particular popular option. Uh, you can give people the option to to say that in what is, a, for, for want of a better expression, a safe environment. <laughs> and, uh, yes. Uh, and but also, is there any other it- kind? <laughs> but also you need to make it clear that the data is collected and is anonymous and all that sort of thing. And that, and that becomes part of the, of the entire research process to make people feel comfortable in many different ways to respond in, a, uh, in an accurate yes. way. Because you've often said to me as well in the past that if the, if the sample is too small, 
uh, it can't really be trusted. It can't be representative of something big. But I suppose if you were in a school, for example, and you were trying to organise a study or a poll in the school to find out whether, um, I don't know, um, you should vote for your favourite teacher or, you know, the school should do away with the rugby pitch or the school should introduce, you know, painting and, and music. Well, you know what I mean? If, the, if there was a school-based yeah, yeah. thing, it wouldn't matter so much if it was a small sample. It's all to do with the total population yes. and what the total population that you're trying to represent looks like. If the total population is the entire country yes. and you speak to 100 people, right. uh, then that's not going to be very much use at all mm. in most circumstances. If, however, you want to find out what FTSE 250 CEOs think and you speak to 100 of them, yes. then that's very useful right uh, and so it depends on it depends on the total population if you're speaking to 100 people in a school for instance that can be a, that can be useful but the sample size is less important compared to the profile of the sample because you can have a very large sample size but if it's not representative of the population that you're trying to survey if it doesn't have the right number of old people young people mm. men women etc etc then it doesn't matter how many people you have that's still not going to be very accurate it is far better to have a well-constructed representative sample of say a 500 people to represent the population of britain than it is to have a, a very poor sample of 10 or 20,000. Yes, exactly right. Which brings me to my final point, which is about the disgraceful report in the Evening Standard today, uh, in which they are misrepresenting a poll that was done over the weekend by YouGov, which was a study carried out by 1,646 people, well below what I would regard as a, a, a reasonable number. They say Sir Keir Starmer is currently more popular with British people than Boris Johnson. Uh, now, here's the numbers. They found that 40% of Brits believe the Labour leader is doing either fairly well or very well. Now, further down, it says the Prime Minister uh, is 57% doing fairly well or very well. So, first of all, that's wrong. Second of all, uh, they don't count the biggest number in the poll, which is 66% who said they didn't know. Uh, yes, that's um, uh, that's a an interesting way of representing the, uh, well, the data. Well, I, would, so, I call it old-fashioned. I would say it misrepresents the data. It is, it is at times, uh, legitimate to say among those people who expressed a preference, here are the, uh, here are the results, but that's not what Yeah, but it's still, 40% is still a lower number than 57%. Yes, yeah. So, and in how that can, case, so how can he be more popular? I, I don't have an explanation. Well, I can tell that. you what they've done, right? Now, here's what they've done. They've said that because only 17% think he's performing fairly badly or very badly, that's a smaller number than the 35% who think that Boris is doing fairly badly or very badly. So it's, so it's the, net, uh, the net approval ratings that, uh, that is it's more popular. It's still cobbles, I mean, that, though, isn't it? That is, a, that is used uh, in, the, uh, in the US quite a uh, Used quite in the extreme case where the editor of the newspaper hates the person who's prime minister. I think that's the it's, explanation. It's, it's an interpretation <laughs> of the data. I'm not necessarily saying that it's the best interpretation of the data. But in, these, in cases like these, the important thing is that if you believe that the data is showing something, you need to be completely transparent about how you came to that decision yes. so that people can make the judgment. And for instance, if you want to exclude people who don't know, for example, yeah. then that is, uh, that is a way of doing it. But you, it's always a good idea to represent the full view of what the data is showing. And so if, 
in terms of net approval, somebody is ahead. But in terms of absolute approval, somebody else is ahead. It's always best to say both yes. to give people as much information as as you can from the uh, from the survey, while at the same time not uh, not stretching it to far beyond what what it was originally exactly. intended to show. It, I mean, it illustrates in the end that you can do anything you like with statistics. But those of us who are smart enough to see through that will see that you've just done it to sort your own business out. And if I was uh, running the Evening Standard and somebody had written that intro, I'd have fired them, quite frankly, because well, it's not for, true. For, every, for everyone listening at home, I would encourage them, when they see a poll from a reputable research agency, when they see a poll covered in, in a newspaper or, or on TV, and they're interested to know more, go on to the company's website who commissioned the poll. And if it, if they don't say who commissioned it, then that's an immediate red, red flag. Mm. Go on to the company's website and there they will have to publish the full results, including all the questions that were asked. And it's there that you often find the true, if you like, in inverted commas, the the true uh, the true result because in a lot of cases what and, and what you're talking about here uh, is a good example of that in a lot of cases it's the analysis and the write-up of the polling that can be misleading whereas the poll itself can be very clear in its results and all of these polls are available uh, on companies websites if they're not available you can ask for them and the company is obliged under the rules of the british polling council to give you that uh, give you that data and if they're not a member of the british polling council then you shouldn't make, pay any attention to the results at all very well said thank you very much indeed joe twyman there uh, with our homeschooling for the day so if you ever fancy uh, doing a poll at school which i would encourage you to do because it's always a good idea to do these things out of practice uh, then listen to uh, the words of mr joe twyman founder of delta poll uh, and do it with as much alacrity and as much honesty as you possibly can. Do not follow uh, the line of the evening standard, uh, which quite frankly has misrepresented this YouGov poll, uh, which is not worth the paper it's written on anyway. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's been another fascinating show. Uh, and of course, coming up at one o'clock, it's Ian Collins, Dan Wooten from four o'clock. We've got some surprises coming up uh, later on this week, which we shall keep you abreast of. Uh, but what we've also got is Plank of the Week, because that comes out every Tuesday. It was a little bit later than advertised yesterday, so uh, if you haven't read it yet, or you haven't seen it yet, or you haven't had a podcast of it yet, uh, you can now get it on a podcast for audio, but also on YouTube as well. We had Dawn Neeson, we had Dave Chawner, the comedian, and Dawn Neeson was asked to nominate one of her least favourite groups of people. Here's what she said. All the people that don't understand what the word alert <laughs> it's amazing how many people well educated people didn't quite understand what stay alert meant and have gone out of their way to ask the most ridiculous questions about what they can and can't do it's all they don't want a roadmap they want a sat nav grid reference they want the government to run their lives yes go and live in north korea that's what you want well, I mean, Stupid. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that people as intelligent as Sir Keir Starmer, QC, nonetheless, even can't work out what alert means because this is a guy who has to ask a photographer if it's all right if he brings his daughter back from across the road because he's finished filming him doing something. I mean, Keir Starmer's meant to be a clever bloke. You know, I know you're a supporter of his, Dave, but I mean, he doesn't know what alert means. I don't think I'd fancy having him as my barrister. I don't know. Like, I just think that the implications are so odd. Like, why do we need to change it for it? Like, people understood what stay well, at let home. Me, let me let me walk you through it, Dave. 
The message yeah. now is you don't have to stay at home. You can now go out and meet people, but you just have to be alert. Alert for what? Well, just to make sure that you're adhering to the social distancing that people are asking you to do, to make sure that you don't return to the awfully bad habits of kissing strangers in bars because you've had a few too many, and basically making sure that you behave yourself in a way which is becoming of somebody in the midst of a bloody worldwide pandemic. There we are. Plank of the week. Uh, you might be quite surprised at the numbers of people in there that you will hate and the numbers of people in there that we have nominated who absolutely and utterly deserve it. And I'm particularly proud of the number one winner uh, this week. Let's go to the phones, though, before we do anything else. Gareth uh, is in Nottingham. Hi, Gareth. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. What can I do for you? Well, I rang because I heard you an hour or so ago. That's what got me to ring when you said about people on furlough sitting at home on the backsides. Yes. Rather rather a negative approach, I thought, Mike. What do you mean? Well, I'm on furlough. Uh, I'm 51. I've not missed a day's work since I was 16. I'm in the motor trade. Uh, we're looking to get back, or our proposed date to get back to the 1st of June. Right. And... Uh, it's people like yourself and other radio stations speaking in quite a derogatory way, saying or sitting at home on the backside. That's not what I said. I said there are some people who might prefer to stay home and sit on their backsides, getting 80% of their money rather than working. I can some... assure you didn't. I can assure you didn't. Well, what you're you going to tell me was... what I said now? Yes, yes, definitely. OK, what, so, what, 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 so, so tell me what I precisely said. You said you said there's too many people sitting at home enjoying it on the backside. No, I did not say there's too many people. I said there are some people. Right. There are some people who are no doubt doing that, and I'm sure there are some people who are no it, doubt it, doing it, that. Yeah, but if they are, if they're forced to furlough to the first of June, like my like my example. Well, you've heard the government advice, right? No. Can, no, you, no, can you tell me no, what the government, government advice is? The government advice is go back to work if you could, if you can't work from home. Yes. Yeah. Are, you work, are, you working, are you working from home? No, I can't, because I'm a sales manager in the motor trade. Right. Can you go back right. to work? No. Why not? Because the dealership's not open. Why is it not open? Because it's not allowed to open yes, yet. Yes, it is. It's, no, it's not. Yes, it's it not is. And if, any, there, are, there are car dealerships that can open, and providing... Hang on. No, Gareth, hang on. Thing. No, you hang on for a Let second. Let me finish. Well, what are you gonna, you're, gonna, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Yeah, no, just let me finish my point, Matt, okay. and I'll let you finish. All right. Another thing is... I'm an employee of a, of, of a country with nationwide dealership. Yes. Okay. I, it's not my decision on when they open. I'm an employee. I'm that's not saying it is your decision. I'm saying why direction. are they not opening? That's, no, that's, that's for them to say. Why that's can't they open? What, 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 what because, makes them think they can't open? Because at the moment, at the moment, they don't have the protective uh, equipment in place. So, but, so when they do have that, they could open? Proposed date is the first of June. Right. Why? Why is right. it not sooner? Well, because we're not. We are non-essential retail. And you're car, you're selling board, cars, right? Is that what you're doing? Yes, that's, that's, that's not essential. A non-essential retail is the first of June. That's, okay. That's, well, look, look on the rules. That's where it says. If you, if you can, I, no, no. What the rules? No, what the rules say? No. What the I'm, rules say? If you can open your business, which they could choose to do, you can open it. Right. Yeah, they're choosing right. not to, OK? Right. So, therefore, you are not able to go back to work. Why can't right. you if sell they, a car on the phone, by the way? If they're choosing not to or they're choosing to, that's not my decision. No, I accept am that. I en am I enjoying furlough? Yes, I am. OK. Yes, so, am. so, when I said there were lots of people sitting around at home enjoying being on furlough, I was right. 
you it's a derogatory way you said this. I, how do you know it was derogatory? Because it's what? Sitting on well, the you've just told me that you are enjoying being on furlough doing nothing. No, I'm not doing nothing. What are you doing? I'm not doing nothing. I'm doing training. Training what? Train, online training within my job. That's working. You shouldn't be doing that. No, it's not. It's training. No, You're you should not. Training. No, you should not be working You're in the job. If we, training. if I'm paying your wages, which is what I'm currently doing, right? Yeah. You should not be working. No, I'm not. That's working. not allowed. You're breaking the law. No, part of training you're allowed. You're allowed to do training. So, what training are you doing? Online training but provided for, what? for by my de by the manufacturer I work for. And what is the training exactly? What are they training you to do that you didn't already know how to do? Well. Obviously, cars are changing all the time. Are they? Rules are changing all the time. The finance rules are changing all the time. Are they? So what have you learned today, yeah. then, in your training session? Well, I've got a session at 2.30. Oh, right. They don't put you under too much pressure, then? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Okay. But why I've found... Why, I found why in have my you family, rung in, Gareth? Have you just rung in to have a moan at me? No, no. I, I, I didn't think I was having a moment at your mind. If I, I wanted to buy, you. if I wanted to buy I'm a car from you, if I wanted to buy a car from you, Gareth, hang on. If I wanted to buy a car from you, Gareth, right? Why yeah. can't you sell me one? Because the dealership's not open. Well, it doesn't need to be open. You can, you can, you can sell me the car. We can do the finance online, and you can have somebody drive the car to my house. You don't need to be no. open. No, you can't do finance online, Mike. You what are you talking about? Online. I bought a car and did the finance online. How can you not? Because you have to see the you have to see the customer at least once. No, you don't. That's rubbish. Okay, then, Total Mike. rubbish. Okay, I think then. you need more training, Gareth. I'll see you soon. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.